coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. If you only knew what happens in this world and how many people want to destroy America, you couldn't even sleep at night. And the way he said it, that thing went straight through me. And I'm like, I better shut up and start listening. Kids were joining, I think, for the right reasons, other than just for college money. They were joining because they wanted to serve their country. It's interesting. Uh, I suspect when you're burying them on a two-mile run, these young whippersnappers are going, holy cow. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for blessing us. We often thank you for the things that you brought us through, God. But we just want to pause for a minute and thank you for the things that you didn't allow to affect us. We say seen and unseen danger, God. God, we thank you for this great country that we call America. And we believe in God bless America. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up the men and women that are uh, defending our country uh, in the military. Thank you for their service. Thank you for their hearts to defend our country in our way of life. And we thank you for people like our guest today, Todd, what they do and leave their families and uh, go out to a foreign country and live a different lifestyle to defend us. Amen. Oh, Lord, be our constant companion and our strength in battle through refuge in every adversity. That is the Lord that we may return home safely. And I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Bill, when you start thinking about those who serve, you know, I think of three individuals right now. My grandfather who raised me, uh, Tecumseh Lewis Adams, and Tecumseh Ernest Adams, excuse me, was World War II. And he was so proud of, he was a military police in World War II. And I have pictures of him. And those were some of his proudest moments sitting there as a black man. And I think he was over in 
I don't know what theater. I have to go back and look, but he was just proud. He was just proud to be selected as a military police. Then I think about one of my mentors, Uncle Henry. Uncle Henry, his real, his real name was Henry Dr. Jr. And he rose to the level of Lieutenant General Henry Dr. Jr. Jr. Since I never had the pleasure of serving, I didn't really understand what ranked like that meant. But I remember when I first married his niece, we went up to visit them and he had this house on a naval base right there by the Potomac. And he was working in the Pentagon. And then it showed pictures of him and then President uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was over in Korea, you know, that whole thing. And they were going through the mess hall. And I didn't really understand it. So we used to argue, you know, I was young. And when I say argue, you in college, we'd argue politics and I would argue politics and all this. And one day he got tired of me. So I wasn't uh, the nephew anymore. I was a smart behind young kid. And he says, Dale, if you only knew what happens in this world and how many people want to destroy America, you couldn't even sleep at night. And the way he said it, that thing went straight through me. And I'm like, I better shut up and start listening. <laughs> because we have some enemies in this world who will destroy us. And the third person is a Marine. His name's Jamel Heron. His young man I met, uh, went in the military, went in the Marines, served two tours over in Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken, and ended up being an Olympic boxing and boxer and world champion. I did a book. I wrote his book for him. And just understanding some of the stories he talks about, how you don't know if you're going to get home how you can be there and all of a sudden you go out to take a smoke and a sniper just takes you out of here and all the people, just, just stories, just stories. So again, my hat goes off to all the men and women who serve and protect our country, Bill. Amen. Amen. You know, I've got a couple military stories uh, in my family. Uh, I had three uncles that served in World War II. My dad served in Korea uh, in the army. And, uh, but my, my three uncles, one of them was a, uh, was a, uh, actually four uncles. One was a merchant Marine. Another one never saw combat. He was an optrician. He made eyeglasses. Uh, the third one served in the first Marine division and landed on Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima. And about 90% of his unit was lost. Wow. Uh, and the, the last one was my uncle Bernie he served in the battle of the bulge and he was a tank commander and he worked, he was with Patton and he never talked about it. You know, we knew about it and, but he never talked about it. And then about six months ago, somebody was going through some old pictures, uh, one of his kids and they found a picture of uncle Bernie standing next to his tank wow. just before the battle of the bulge. And it was amazing. We had never seen that before. And uh, you know, th these folks were, is uh, the greatest generation as the book was written about them. But I, I'll be honest with you. I think today's generation of military people that go in and serve many tours overseas is the great generation of our time. Mm. And they are making a difference. And I am so happy to invite our guest in Todd and uh, Todd, I'm going to let you pronounce your last name because I, I, I don't want to butcher it. Uh, Epperly. Epperly. Okay. Todd Epperly. And let me give you a little backstory how we ran into Todd. I'm chairman of the Boy Scouts Alumni Association communication team. And uh, 
we're going to do some things for Veterans Day. And I always, I wanted to get some veterans on that were scouts talking about scouting and being a veteran and how those two intermingle. But when I read the press release about Todd, who's recently getting deployed, I'm going to let him talk about that. But this is his third tour and his deployment. I didn't realize, but they, they give him a deployment for a year. Mm. And uh, so that means he's away from his family and the, and his family's away from him. And uh, he works for the scouts. He's been working for the scouts 18 years. So Todd, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you. Todd, give us a little background. Uh, we're going to start out. Let's start out with your background on scouting. You grew up in Iowa. And I did. Tell us about your scouting background. And it's a, kind of a rarity. A lot of our uh, BSA employees um, usually come from other, other areas or, or whatever. But uh, I grew up in the council that I work in. And I was a Cub Scout, and I still remember, this is a while ago, this was like 1971 or two or something like that, and I still remember uh, a guy in a scout uniform coming to our elementary school, and they took us all into the gym and did an assembly, and he talked about joining Cub Scouts, and he had these really cool patches. (laughs) (laughs) Mom, Mom, I need to go, because they had it at, you go to this... It was the Coliseum in, in town where they're going to sign up. Take me to sign up tomorrow night, and uh, I want to sign up for Cub Scouts. And uh, we did that, and it, it's funny. I have three brothers, two older and, and one younger, and none of them really had that interest. For, for some reason, I did. I'm number three of the four. Uh, well, it eventually turned into all of my brothers joined Scouts. Oh, wow. It didn't take long. My mom was, you know, we, they had den mothers then. And my mom was, was my den mother and dad was a, a leader for the pack. And uh, we ended up growing up into Boy Scouts and did Boy Scouts. One of my brothers became an Eagle Scout. I didn't quite make it to Eagle, but, but came close. I really enjoyed all the, the camping and hiking and, and all that type of stuff. Turned 18, went off and did other things. Um, and then when my son got old enough, joined Cub Scouts, helped out with the pack. And then when he got to be up to the troop level, uh, they needed a scoutmaster. So I thought, well, I could probably do that and became the scoutmaster. And it just, you know, you get really wrapped up into it. And I says, well, I want to do more. So I got on a district committee and started doing all kinds of things and became a commissioner. And it's like... Uh, uh, and I've seen a lot of volunteers do that. They, they just get hooked, which is exciting because we need people to, to, to do these kind of things. Next thing you know, there was a, an opening for a district executive. And I was working in sales at the time. And at 40 years old, I said, I'm going to go work for the Boy Scouts. Mm. I've been doing it uh, ever since. Wow. Wow. And your current role is director of annual giving is that yes. correct? Yeah. So you're a fundraiser. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked in the same council all 18 years. So that's uh, Mid Iowa Council. Yeah. Mid Iowa Council based out of Des Moines, Iowa. We have 20 okay. counties and uh, started out as a district executive and district director and field director. Uh, then I got into program for a couple of years and, and ran our outdoor adventures programs. And uh, was camp director for, for three years. 
And well, I've, I've done so many different jobs in the, in the one, uh, one council. Uh, but after you're there a while, you get to know everybody and, and everybody knows you. And, and it just worked well for fundraising. Isn't that great? That I mean, yeah. you know, scouting gives you that avenue to use your talent and talents in a way that you probably wouldn't have thought of 18 years ago. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, it, folks, if you're listening to this, you know, we've got an alumni association and you can go to the BSA website and get find the alumni association. And there's a there's a there's a little button on there called for Spark. And Spark is a way to register to be alumni member. There's no charge. And what it allows you to do is connect with other scouts and other individuals. And like I, I signed up and uh, I wanted to find some people from my patrol in Parma, Ohio. And I was able to find our senior patrol leader who lives in uh, Boulder, Colorado now. Wow. And I was able to look them up and call them. And, and we reminisced about many of the camps that we did and some of the fun we had and what's he doing with his life. And we agreed that if I get out the boulder, if he comes to North Carolina, we'll get together and uh, have a nice dinner together. So folks, uh, I would encourage you to do that, but I want to get into Todd's military as well. And Todd, I want you to tell us how scouting has helped your military career. Uh, now here's, here's an interesting thing. Todd's going on his third deployment. He's 58 years old. So he is no spring chicken. Yeah. And uh, not too many people get deployed at 58. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So uh, why are you so special? Well, I've done this for a long time. Way back in the early 80s, um, I was a year out of high school and a buddy of mine was in the National Guard. My dad was in the military in the 50s. He didn't really talk about it a whole lot. He did a couple of years. He was drafted and he said, yeah, that's just something that you had to do. I was in the army. So I didn't really think much about it, but I had some friends of mine that, uh, that were in and they talked to me about it. And if you think back, uh, well, this is, this is in Iowa in the Midwest, the farm prices was, was pretty heavy, you know, at that time and unemployment was high and interest was high or interest rates. And um, there was a lot of jobs. And I'd done a year of college and college is expensive. So I thought, well, they're, uh, they're given money for college if you join the National Guard. So I joined, joined the National Guard. I was 19 years old. This is in late uh, 1983. And uh, I went into Signal, Signal Communications. At this time, Signal was radios, and antennas that you actually put up and uh, telephone networks. We put up a lot of telephone networks where you actually ran wire out to every individual telephone and you would run the other end of the wire to a junction box and there would be people in a van that uh, had patch panels where they would patch you through to this number or this number if you think of the old days where you have a, an operator sitting there with patches and plugs moving them around. Oh yeah. Yeah. You that's, see that on TV now and it's like, yeah, that's, that's what we were style. doing. Yeah. yeah. That's what we were doing. The military, you're not your Vietnam funding was, was, was pretty short. So there was a lot of new updated type uh, equipment. Uh, but then as time went, um, the equipment 
uh, got uh, a little more advanced. And I actually got out for a couple of years. I did my first four years, got out for a couple of years, and I really missed it. You know, a lot of the people that I was in with were friends of mine and they were local. Um, so I ended up getting back in. I was out for just a couple of years, got back in. Uh, they'd come out with some new equipment. It was still antennas and, and that type of stuff, but it was better equipment. So went through the, the 90s and, and went into a couple of different units, got some different experiences and that type of stuff. And then 9-11 uh, happened. And that's when things got really serious. And my first deployment was in 2003. And uh, that was to Iraq. And it was with a signal battalion. So it was all signal. And we still had some of the old signal equipment. Um, that we use. We actually had telephones and ran wire out to telephones and that kind of stuff. We set up telephone networks throughout uh, Kuwait and Iraq. And that deployment, they back then they did it where you were in country, which meant on the ground in, in Iraq for 12 months. Uh, but uh, since this was our first deployment, um, and it was still new. The military was still trying to figure out how to do this right. We spent about four months um, stateside at Fort Riley, Kansas, just training up to be ready. So, and then we had a couple of weeks on the back end of the 12 months. So that turned into about 16, 17 months of being away. So that was my first deployment. A lot of old equipment, that type of stuff. Came back home, uh, stayed in the guard did some different things. And then uh, I deployed again in 2010 and 2011. This is where they had it to where it's no longer uh, 12 months in country, it's 12 months total. Mm. So the whole thing was 12 months and we spent about two and a half months stateside. So we ended up about nine and a half months in country. But I seen a huge change um, in the military because funding was turned on basically. And there were kids that were joining um, that probably wouldn't have joined in the 80s or 90s, but kids were joining, I think, for the right reasons other than just for college money. They were joining because they wanted to serve their country. Hmm. And uh, it, it totally changed the entire culture of the military because the culture I grew up with in the 80s and 90s within the military was almost the opposite of the, the culture I see now. People wanting to do well and, and have strong careers and stay physically fit. And they're, they're more dedicated, uh, which, which is really impressive to, to see. But to go back just a little bit to kind of pull scouting into this, my deployment in 2003, 2004, I had a, I was my own team, I had a platoon and I had a couple of Eagle Scouts that were um, within my platoon, and they were far and above more prepared uh, for this type of environment and leadership than I seen of, of non-scouts. And it wasn't long after I got back um, home in 2004, if you do the math, uh, 18 years, that goes back to 2004. I was back in the civilian world for about five months before I started working for the Boy Scouts, because I just felt that, gosh, they are doing such a, a great thing. 
And I don't want to say that, hey, we're creating soldiers here through the Boy Scouts. That's not really what we're doing. We're, we're creating citizens, citizens that uh, uh, love their country and want to do things for them. And leaders, leaders, I might add. Yep. I think every person should have an opportunity to, to learn and practice leadership, no matter who they are. Um, and, and the Boy Scouts, that's what we do. So I was happy to take the job with the Boy Scouts. And they were, were very um, receptive and supportive of me being a uh, like a citizen soldier or a part-timer. A lot of employers, not so much. And that is why a lot of people end up not really staying with the military um, that are part-time because a lot of times it's employers, hey, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to hire if you're going to be gone someday, you know, without much notice or if you're going to be gone a couple of weeks every every couple of months, that type of stuff. Some are really great, um, but, but some... They may not say it, but uh, it, it is difficult, uh, you know, for, for careers. But luckily, uh, with my employer, they've been very supportive, and I've been able to stay in, and my family and wife is very supportive. And uh, it's just something that I enjoy. I've been doing it uh, not quite 40 years, but because uh, I did have a break-in service, but almost 38 years. and. Wow. It's just to the point, should I retire and be done? Gosh, I think there's more I can, I can uh, help people with and, and help our young soldiers with, with the experiences I have uh, to just. So, so do they call you the old man? Well, maybe not to my face, but, <laughs> but, but they do. I, I've, I've had a few, a few people just kind of, man, he's older than my dad. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, uh, I guess I guess maybe now that uh, I am your dad and you're going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I do hear that. Uh, the big thing is I'm, I'm really into fitness. You know, I'm into physical fitness. I um, and very rarely do I get beaten a two mile run by any of my younger soldiers. Oh, so that's good. That because I'm, I'm enlisted. I'm a, I'm a sergeant major. Um, in the uh, army reserves. And that's, that's the highest rank it enlisted goes is, is E9. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of the old man. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I suspect when you're burying them on a two mile run, these young whippersnappers are going, Holy cow. Yeah. yeah this is all they're, they're just like, you, you, there's nothing they can say except Boy, that guy can run. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I try to, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. You know, I used to run uh, long distances and I used to run the mile and uh, two mile. And I remember many times I would run it and uh, there was always somebody just in front of me and I'd stay right on their shoulder. And as we were running, I'd talk to him. I say, how you feeling? Your legs hurting yet? How are your lungs doing? said, you know, when we get to the last quarter, we're going to pick it up. Okay. Cause this is a little slow pace. You do that with them and it, it'll wear them out quick, <laughs> but yeah. Hey, I'll, I do... I'll hear at the end. He says, he talked to me the whole time. I don't know how he could do that. <laughs> hey, I could barely talk. I was gasping for air so bad. Yeah. They're, they're sucking air trying to yeah. get their lungs filled. Hey, I do want to talk about something really serious. You were wounded in your last deployment. And you received I, the purple star, a purple heart, and the bronze star with valor. Would you talk about that? Yeah, my uh, my 
deployment in Afghanistan was a little different. I was on a, was a first sergeant for embedded training team. And what that means is you're embedded um, with, it was with the Afghan police. And we were there to, to train them and help them out. And we actually had uh, law enforcement professionals from the U.S. that were with us to, to help with some of the more technical type skills with, with law enforcement. Uh, so every day I, I would go out, my team and I, we would go to different police stations within our province and uh, work with training um, the police officers, police officers in those provinces. But uh, one day it was our very last mission that we were going on. We were just going to a police station basically to say goodbye. And we were in a convoy and I was in the lead truck. We're just a small convoy of two, two vehicles because we really didn't travel with a whole lot of people going to, from station to station. And uh, there was a, a police officer that was in the road with a uh, broken down vehicle that flagged us down. So I pulled over because we were there to train him and I recognized the uniform. I didn't recognize the person, but I recognized the uniform and we had interpreters with them, with me. And we had interpreters in each vehicle and my interpreter right away, he noticed that something wasn't right. Something was wrong. He says, we need to, we need to get out of here. We need to keep, keep going forward. So I called back to uh, the truck behind us that we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. We're going to roll through this. So as I was rolling through, uh, the police officer jumped in front of uh, the second vehicle. So it was either run them over or stop. Well, they stopped and uh, somehow a door got open to the second vehicle. I don't know how it did, but somehow it got open and the, uh, the police officer started shoot, shooting inside the cab of the vehicle. And it killed both the uh, driver and the passenger. And those are both soldiers that I were, that was part of my team. Mm. So I went back or jumped out of my vehicle with my rifle and, and engaged this uh, police officer. And during that engagement, I was shot twice. Um, but uh, that person is no longer with us. Mm. So, well, thank you for was, sharing that. It was I traumatic. I know that's a hard thing to talk about, uh, particularly friends that you saw die. Um, thank you for your service. Odell? You know, that's so powerful. I, I think about, you know, Todd, when you think about, let me talk about this first. Philmont Scout Ranch. I had an opportunity to go. Of course, I couldn't beat you in no two-mile run. And I'm sure you, if you ever went to Philmont, you probably hiked up to two of the times, of course. Yeah, been yeah. there. <laughs> so when you do that and all of a sudden you find yourself in Afghanistan and you serve the country well, you put your life on the line, you did all that. Do you mind sharing with the audience? How did you feel watching the chaotic withdrawal from Cabal, all that stuff? I mean, all that. Is that a fair question? And if not, it I is. And I've done a couple of interviews and that all happened there in Afghanistan, and it could have been a done. Yeah, this is this is just my opinion. Um, this is nothing official or anything, but it, it could have been done a lot better. And I agree with you 100 percent. That's my yeah. opinion. I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah, it's uh, uh, 
a lot of money and a, and a lot of soldiers dedicated a lot of time and commitment to, to help that country, their government and the families there. And uh, it just kind of feels like, okay, well, that was kind of a waste. You know, to say it bluntly, because um, there's some progress that got made there. And uh, I had five interpreters that were part of my team, and four of them are back here in the U.S. that I interact with uh, regularly on, on Facebook and that type of stuff. And there are good people there. There's, there's a lot of good people there. And a lot of them did come to the, to the U.S., and some of them are still there in Afghanistan. It's just too bad that uh, it, didn't, it hasn't gone back to, to where it was 20 years ago, but thinking of forward, you know, five years from now, will it be? Maybe, hopefully not. You know, I don't know, but uh, uh, it, it could have been done a lot better. And, uh, you know, the Taliban took control like, immediately. And if there was some kind of phases that could have been avoided, I think. But that's yeah. just, that's just an opinion. Well, you know, the, the pictures, the optics were horrible. They were. And we understand it's a big difference between Veterans Day that we're celebrating and Memorial Day. We understand the, the connection, but we also understand the difference. What did you think when you saw the plane up there and the people were like desperate and, and guys falling, falling? It's unthinkable in my mind. The only thing that's close to it, 9-11, when people were diving out of the World Trade Center because of the fire, People were falling. I mean, do you think that affect our loyal soldiers who was trying to do their job in the midst of that chaos? Yeah, and, and I remember watching that. You know, there were uh, people jumping into the wheel wells and, and trying to do everything they can to to come back. And it it's just like, wow. Do they feel that we're abandoning them? Probably some. Uh, but it still kind of felt like, wow, they actually want to uh, still be with us. You know, they still want our protection and they, they still want our leadership. It wasn't like, oh, you guys just need to go and go away uh, kind of thing. Because sometimes you kind of felt that some places that you, that you went, you weren't exactly welcome. Uh, but that's just like anywhere else, you know, in any country, there's um, some type of biases all over the place throughout the world. Uh, but the majority, it seemed like that they were glad that we were there and, and trying to pick the good out of that was seeing that, that it was, it was tragic and it was, it was horrible. But at the same time, you think, wow, they really uh, appreciate what we're doing and they really want to continue us doing what we were doing and want to be a part of, of the culture that we have. Yes. That's powerful. You know, I say it all the time. Bill and myself, we just returned back from Europe with our wives on vacation. We went to Paris, I mean, excuse me, London for a week. Then we went to Paris for a week. And I tell people all the time, uh, when we come back to America, a lot of times one of our favorite hobbies is um, politics. And I say to people, less engage as political competitors, not as political enemies, because we all are Americans. And it's people all over this world will, will risk their life to come to America. So America right. can't be that bad if people are willing to risk their life to come here. But 
that, that's just the truth of the matter. America is a great country. Perfect, didn't say perfect, but great, yes. And again, God bless America means something. And I'm so proud to be an American. Bill? Well, the, 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 the uh, absolutely right. You know, and it, 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 I was thinking about, Todd, you mentioned that there was a change in the military culture from when you started until the other uh, in Afghanistan. What do you think caused that change? Well, I, I hate to say that, you know, 9-11 woke a lot of people up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it woke up uh, the culture that uh, to be proud to be a, a veteran or, or a person of the military. Before nine, yeah, I'd been in almost 20 years before 9-11 happened or before my first deployment. And Veterans Day was just another day. I don't remember it being celebrated like this. And uh, when I was first in, they told us don't go off post or, or out to eat in uniform. Mm. And, uh, if you did, it wasn't really all that great. People, oh, what are you doing? You know, all they did was, you know, uh, do all this nasty stuff back in the late 60s, early 70s. But now, gosh, if I'm out somewhere in uniform, people, uh, want to thank you for your service. They'll pay for your lunch. Um, you know, I try to say, hey, thank you, but uh, but no thanks kind of thing. But it's nice to feel that. And uh, it makes you think back. When I was first in, there was a lot of Vietnam veterans still in the military. And the way they were treated uh, when they came back, uh, almost like they were criminals. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And they're just finally now within maybe the last decade, just finally getting the, the thanks and rewards that they deserve. You know, I go around and uh, uh, you'll see signs for, from restaurants, barbershops, different things. Hey, we have a 10% military discount. And it's like, you would have never saw that uh, 20 years ago or a dozen, even a dozen years ago. Um, it's the, it's changed so much. And now young people are seeing that or have been seeing that. And it's something that they wanna strive for, wanna desire. They're seeing uh, military individuals and, and veterans being treated. Um, well, it's, I, wanna, I wanna be that, you know, I wanna be yeah. like that. And it's, it's changed the, the type of people that are joining the military, which in turn changes, changes the entire culture. Well. Well, Todd, let me ask a question. You can be a part of. Yes. Todd, when you hear about American soldiers, or I don't know if it's such thing as an ex-soldier, going to Afghanistan to fight the Russians and the American government decide, don't go, don't, don't, don't go, don't go, don't go. What do you think it is that caused individuals to go? Well, there's, I think you probably mean uh, like Ukraine. There's. Okay, Yes. There's Ukraine, a lot I'm sorry, of I say, uh, Afghanistan. I'm sorry, Ukraine. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There, there's a lot of prior service. Not a lot, but uh, there's a certain number I think out there because I see it and hear about it that are going to Ukraine uh, to help them. And these are individuals. Maybe they're patriots. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. But I think they see a bigger picture that we need to go out there and help them. And I have the skills that I can help them. And uh, that war in Ukraine and, and between Ukraine and Russia, it's so different. Um, it's, it's almost like going back in time type of war, a, a ground war. 
uh, like World War II. Russia, uh, they're somewhat powerful. Um, they, their, their money and investments in military isn't near what it used to be. Uh, the leadership is not what, what we have. Uh, they rotate people through because they're required to join for a couple of years, so they don't get the, the tenure of experience. And uh, the tactics, it's like, holy cow, I can't believe they're actually doing it. <laughs> this, this is like, uh, uh, who's running these things? Uh, but uh, it's, it's nice to see that Russia, I think they originally thought this was going to be a 30-day war and we're going to take over Ukraine and it's going to be done. And uh, here in a couple of months, it'll be a year long, wow, you know, engagement uh, because the Ukrainians are, are tougher than uh, I think the the Russian military or leadership gave them credit for. Because I think this is more of a uh, the leadership of Russia, not the military of Russia, that wants to uh, uh, annex U Ukraine like they are. Uh, but uh, and I think people just see that and they want to go and help them out, you know, there are people that, hey, I can't write a big check, but I can go over and, and help out, you know, and do those kind of things. Uh, pride in country. Pride yeah. in country. I will fight for my country. Bill, that still means something. I will fight for my country. In spite of the poor, shoddy, outdated equipment, because I guess Russia's fancy equipment, other than nuclear bombs, and we're not going there, a lot of it you see is like, oh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all outdated. Yeah. I, it's, uh, where is I going to go with this? But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, old equipment that's outdated and maybe don't have a whole lot of spare parts for and that type of stuff. But uh, it's, it's not all that, all that great. Well, you know, it struck me uh, when they first invaded Ukraine and they had I don't know, six mile or 10 mile or 20 mile convoy going toward Kiev. That's where it all was, uh, where it's like, oh, they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. thinking a couple uh, warthogs going through that. That would be, that would be just cherry picking. They just annihilate all those vehicles. And, yeah, and they ran out of fuel and food, you know, yeah. like the logistics or supply line. Yeah. Yeah. There's no support. You guys just, Decided to go this way. Yeah, just get on the road and don't worry about <laughs> it. Good luck. Hey, I, I, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. You mentioned the uniform, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s. They told you don't wear it, and now you wear it, and everybody greets you. Can you give us your thoughts on the Boy Scout uniform? Wow, great question, the, Bill. Great question. Uniform? Yeah, and I actually think about this a lot. Um because every unit that I have deployed with, um, I was not a member of that unit. I ended up getting pulled in because they had a vacancy. I have a, a unique uh, MOS and, and my rank and stuff. So I always end up going with people I don't know. But we all wear the same uniform. And as soon as you are right there and meet them, you're your best friends. And you are for life because everybody in the same uniform, there's no different levels of, hey, uh, my clothes are better than yours or, or that type of stuff. And it means a lot. And scouting has recognized that for generations, that uh, that's why we wear a uniform that puts us all at the same level. 
and it's it's just that much more important. Uh, there's so many similarities between uh, the military and scouting. Again, I don't want to try and say that hey, we're we're creating soldiers here to go and uh, fight for our country, but um, there are a lot of similarities between scouting and the, and the military. Yes. I think, you know, that's why when you join the military, if you're an Eagle Scout, you immediately move up a rank. Oh, yeah. Yep. You automatically get promoted. And uh, I always ask, you know, when I get new troops, who's here as an Eagle Scout? Well, you're in charge. Yep. And yep. they always seem to do well. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm an Eagle Scout and none of us Eagle Scouts wear it on our sleeve. We really don't. But it, when you start discussing people and I tell them I'm a volunteer with the Boy Scouts and you, you know, you got to say that you work for the Boy Scouts. So that starts a conversation and we've got 50 million alumni and somebody's had either a Cub Scout experience or a Boy Scout experience or Explorer. Or, and, and uh, once in a while, the people say I'm an Eagle Scout and I'll say I'm an Eagle Scout, particularly when you get into business and you're having a meeting, it changes the level of the conversation. And all of a sudden there's a lot of camaraderie there. Oh boy. It sure is. And you know, when you're looking across another Eagle Scout, what you're dealing with and vice versa. It just, it just, it's just an amazing thing. And just even saying you're in scouting, you know, that you remember your first camp out. Do you remember your first camp out? I remember some really bad camp outs. So all we remember are the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Iowa, you get some snow, so it's got to be cold. I remember some very cold ones and some very wet ones. <laughs> yeah, I came from Cleveland, the same thing. I remember my first uh, hike. It was a day hike with our group. And uh, I didn't have waterproof shoes. And it had snowed and slushy and all that. And uh, I remember my shoelaces freezing. And, uh, and, and my patrol leader, uh, came up to me and he says, did you bring some extra socks? And I said, no. And he says, yeah, why would I do that? Yeah. What, what the heck? What do I need? So he gave me a, he had brought an extra pair of socks. I was a tenderfoot, you know, I yeah. didn't know what the heck I was doing. So he, he, we started a fire. We set up my wet socks to dry, uh, took them home. My mom, wa I walked in the door and mom says, you smell like smoke. <laughs> That's always, whenever I smell smoke, it takes me back to, to scouting. Yeah. Driving down the road or somewhere or somebody's burning leaves or got their fireplace going, you can smell it. It's like, ah, that smells like scouting. Yeah. It just sets you back. Now, you, you, Odell mentioned Philmont. You mentioned hiking to the tooth of time. Uh, did you do a, a trek out there? I did. I went with my son in uh, 2002. Uh, my son and I got to do uh, a trek and it was a great time. Oh man, what a great bonding. Now, do you remember where you went on your trek? We did go over uh, Mount Phillips. Oh, wow. We stayed at a campsite overnight. It, it wasn't at the top of Mount Phillips, but it was close. They said it was one of the highest overnight uh, campsites. And I remember it was cold. It was really cold. <laughs> uh, August. Oh yeah. July, early August. And it was cold up there. It was jacket bundle up weather. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we got up in the morning, hiked to the very top, took our pictures and then we hiked back down. Uh, yeah. You got to do that in the morning before the thunderstorms come in. Yeah. Yeah. Be up there during when there's lightning. So the, uh, yeah, that cold, I was at Philmont uh, two years ago uh, for an event 
and I was staying down at the camp at training center and uh, they have tents with metal beds and a mattress Mm -hmm. and uh, it got cold. I think I was in, uh, it might've been June. So it got cold. It went down to 40, 40 degrees. And uh, I hadn't brought my heavy duty sleeping bag. And I remember sleeping with all my clothes on and a tassel cap in a sleeping bag and still cold. And the next day I got up and uh, one of the guys said, was anybody cold last night? We got extra blankets if you need them. Ah. I signed up for that right away. I wasn't cold. I could have used that last night. Yeah. (laughs) But the coffee, the hot coffee tasted good in the morning when I got up. But we took Odell and Bev out there, his wife, at a a retreat. And uh, I don't think you've been to New Mexico before, Odell, had you? No, that went to New Mexico. That was a whole different experience, but I really enjoyed it. Everything from the little saloon down there. We had steaks oh. and everything. Uh, Cimarron, was it Cimarron? Cimarron, yeah, yeah, right James. outside. St. Yep. James Hotel, yeah. The most yep. haunted hotel in America. I was going to say, yeah, I, we've been there a couple of times. We've gone down there for training, and you got to go to the hotel and go to the saloon. Yeah. Just bullet holes. There's the bullet holes in the ceiling from the old yeah. west. Yeah. Good, good. See, here we're already, three of us are talking about memories and scouting. Exactly. Yeah. I had a question for you, though. When you think, you said the military changed, how has scouting changed over the years? You know, I get a lot of people that uh, that I talk to, you know, with fundraising, you interact with a lot of individuals, uh, good and bad. And he says, well, you guys have watered it down. You've changed the programs. Everything's changed. He says, what's changed? Nothing's changed. The, I don't think the program has changed. It's the requirements for the, the merit badges and the rank and the campouts. That's the same as it always has been. What's really changed is that we've opened it up to everybody. We've opened it up so that, uh, um, and, and as I said earlier, that everybody should have the opportunity to learn and practice leadership. And there's no better youth organization than the Boy Scouts of America for a young person to, to get that experience. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Say that, well, you can't have it. Just this person can, uh, which we've done for, for a long, long time is finally come around and open a lot of eyes. And then there's uh, people that says, Oh, girls are in, in Boy Scout troops. That's not going to work. And it says, well, where'd you hear that? Who told you that? Well, that's what the media said. Well, listen to me um girls are not joining boy scout troops they're just not they're they're setting up their own troop and they're doing the very same things that the boys are doing but they're doing them separately with with their own leadership oh that's not what was said in the media i know and that's just the way the media is (laughs) yeah yeah here's the truth and this is what we're doing and i just thought if we did do that um, it would be tough because all the girls would take over all the leadership positions. Oh, wow. <laughs> because if you take a, yeah. take a 13-year-old or a 13-year-old boy or a 13, 14-year-old girl and you put them together, well, well, the boys at that age, their entire lives centers around burgers and farts. And that, <laughs> the girls that age, they're a little more mature and they think all those kids are weird. Because uh, I, I raised a son and a daughter both, and I would take my daughter out to scout camp for uh, for the summer, 
And she's like, man, dad, I'm not coming out there. Those kids are weird. This is, well, they're your typical 12, 13 year old. And that's just the way boys are at that age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boy, you hit the nail on the head. And you know, the other thing that we haven't changed, we haven't changed the scout oath and law. No. That, that stays the same duty to God, duty to country, service to others, and then take care of yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with teaching every youth in America that we don't need to isolate a group and say, only you can learn this. You know, I was, I was put on a committee, uh, national committee uh, to change the business culture of the boy Scouts uh, to make us more consumer driven, customer driven uh, focus on uh, breaking even, or maybe making a little money as opposed to losing money. Uh, just a lot of different things that they came across. And that's, that's a big culture change here, probably over the last decade. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it we, has been. the direction we got from Dr. Robert Gates and Rex Tillerson and those guys was everything is on the table to change except the scout oath and law. You can't touch that. And I remember sitting at that table, there's 13 of us and the chief scout executive was across and the guy next to me, Dr. Gates said, Hey, has anybody got any questions about this, this culture change? And I'm thinking, who's going to ask a question, you know, and the guy next to me puts his hand up and I found out later on, he was a CFO of general dynamics, Hugh red. And Hugh says to Dr. Gates, he says, I got a couple questions. He said, what's that? He says, well, the first one is if this is a, you know, flavor of the month, we put up some posters and we're done. I'm not interested. I'll tap out. I got other things to do. And Dr. Gates says, I'm telling you, this is serious. We're going to do it. And you just can't touch a scout open law. He says, okay, here's a second question. He looks over at the chief scout executive and says, can we fire him or cut his salary? Mm. And I'm thinking, holy cow. And uh, the chief scout executive said, I'll answer that. He said, yes, if I got to go, then we're all in. And I'm thinking, okay, this is serious stuff here. So, you know, we've changed our membership standards because we let everybody in and you, you hit the nail. You described it so well, Todd. I think I'm going to take you on my next fundraising group. <laughs> when do you get back from your deployment? Cause I'm going to sign you up. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things Todd that got my attention when Bill came and um, was recruiting me as a board member, I said, I'd rather see a black young man in a scout uniform than an orange jumpsuit. And I meant that. And I still stand by that. And I agree with you. I think scouting is one of the best organizations for young people in leadership in the country. I think that scouting's had some challenges and we've owned up to that, but we don't throw the baby out with the bath water. We right. change the water. We change the water and keep going and grow the baby. Your thoughts on that, sir? Let's just say, Odell, are you a, a football fan? Yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of David Montgomery. He's the running back for the Chicago Bears. Okay. And he played college football at, for Iowa State University here, here in Iowa. You sure it's not the Ohio State University? No, I, Iowa State University. <laughs> okay, because Bill yeah. has this, the Ohio State University. Everything is the Ohio State. Yeah, I, mean, the, I, I hear it all the time. My wife always rolls her eyes. <laughs> But that's Big Ten. Uh, Iowa State's Big 12. But uh, outstanding young man and uh, great running back. He, he ended up getting drafted in the first round. 
uh, Chicago Bears, but David Montgomery is an Eagle Scout. Wow. Wow. We, we've had him speak at uh, one of our events, and he says that he, he came really close to uh, an orange jumpsuit. Wow. And his, his father did and his older brother did. And somehow in some type of a youth outreach program, uh, he got involved in scouting. He wasn't a Cub Scout. This was uh, when he was older. And he got, he said it changed his life. And, and almost said that it saved his life. And he got hooked on it, uh, earned his Eagle Scout, um, helped him get his grades up, got a scholarship uh, to play for Iowa State. Now he's playing in the NFL. And it, it, there's tons and tons of stories like that. And, and I'm sure you've heard them all, but uh, it's just surprising of what scouting can do for a person. Now, at the same time, I'm being a realist. I, I've seen all levels of scouting. And uh, when I do go out and, and talk about scouting or promote it, I'll have somebody, you know, I was a scout and it was terrible. Our, our leader didn't do this or that. And you know, we didn't get our awards and, and, you know, those kind of things. And what we sometimes have a tough time with is, yeah, it's just like anything else. There's some not so great leaders and there's some really good leaders. Right. And sometimes some people get maybe a bad or the wrong experience because of uh, the volunteer leader that they had. And we try to do all we can uh, to make sure that our, our leaders are, are the best trained leaders with, you know, we started doing background checks and, and the youth protection training and all the things that we provide. I don't think a lot of organizations started doing it as soon as we did. Uh, more and more of them are doing it now, but uh, uh, we've taken a lot of hits. Like you said, we aren't perfect. Took, took a lot of hits back uh, in history, but uh, throughout the 90s and the 2000s, I'd say the last couple of decades, um, scouting has been cleaned up a lot and a lot has changed and we do have great leaders and sometimes you'll get somebody that doesn't have the best leader and they don't have the best experience. Yeah. You know, you're right, Todd, we have the best youth protection program in the country. People are taking it and using ours and we give it away free because yeah. it's all about the youth. You know, it, um, I, I did some research and I, you know, if you go to a public school, your teachers are about 30 to one ratio. Uh, you go to a private school, it's about 20 to one. You go to church youth group, it's 10 to one. And the Boy Scouts, it's two kids for every trained leader. And I, I'm talking trained. We, they, we put a lot of training in. You can't be involved in scouting if you don't go through a background check and a youth protection training, period. Even, right, right. even if you're on the board and never have interaction with a kid, you can't be involved with us. And, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. We're getting near the end, Todd. We're, we always ask our question, how do you find common ground? But before we do that, I'll give you a minute to think. Odell, you got want to add something? I just want to say thank you, Todd. Thank you for your service to the country, but also for your service to the young men and women. That's going to make a difference. You know, the difference between keeping Odell out of a jumpsuit, orange jumpsuit and a Boy Scout uniform, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. And we just want to say thank you because you believe, I believe, you know, my, my experience is somewhat different from yours, somewhat different from Bill's, but we still believe 
that scouting is one of the best organizations in America. And I believe that. So thank you for your service in both ways, sir. Hi, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. I second that. Bill, common ground, there's, there's a lot of common ground in different places, I guess, um, with the general public or, or just people in general. Yeah, just how you, how you, you know, you, you come in a situation that might be different. People might be look different, act different. I mean, you were in a foreign country. Oh, okay. Yes. Differences. How do you find common ground with somebody that has a different culture? That's, that's a big deal. Um, especially when you are working to build relationships and trust, which was part of what I had to do when I was embedded with the, uh, the Afghan police. Um, you really had to, uh, to build common ground and, uh, relationships and trust and those kind of things. And it can't be just, hey, we want to give you this or I have a gift for you uh, that, I, that I brought, uh, trust me for this. And they see through that. It's just being totally honest with you, with them and not just stopping by one time because we, we stopped by and saw these uh, different Afghan tribes and, and police stations and all that on a really regular basis, probably more regularly than their past, because every year they had a different team training them. They said they saw us more than they saw anybody. And I thought that was so important. And I learned those things basically as a professional in scouting. Uh, maybe not so much as a youth, because as a youth, you're just you know, doing everything they, they tell you or you're, you're doing what you want to do, goofing off and stuff. But uh, I learned a lot uh, as a scouting leader, you know, working with families and, and kids and those kind of things and what it takes to build trust, but just being open and honest, open and honest and showing that you are, are making a dedicated commitment and look them in the eye and smile and say, hey, we really want to help you and we want to do things for you and we want you to be better off uh, uh, when we leave than you are when we got here. And you actually show them over time that this is what you're doing. I had a really neat thing. I had a, a family that I know did an Eagle Scout project while I was in Afghanistan. And what he did was he donated soccer balls. He ended up get, getting us like over 300 soccer balls. Oh, wow. Uh, we had the uh, Afghan police officers deliver these soccer balls to uh, the schools, to the kids at the schools, And that was a huge win. They thought, wow, this is something we never even ever thought of doing it. Well, you know, the U.S. does it all the time with these kind of things. And it helped build a lot of bridges because there's a lot of uh, uh, villagers or common folks that don't trust the, the Afghan police whatsoever. And there's good reason. But we're trying to work towards changing that. And I think we did. We made, uh, we, we did make a difference and strive forward on that. Um, it's just too bad, kind of like what Odell brought up when we pulled out Afghanistan, it just kind of deflated you and made you feel like, oh man, we put a lot of, a lot of dedicated uh, time and energy and, and money into that. Yeah. yeah. Look on the right side. That's a good one, a good explanation. I do have one last question. 
uh, you're involved in develop director of annual giving. Uh, can you explain how you build relationships with donors? And I'm going to, my words, investing in scouting versus giving. Yes, most definitely. <clears throat> this is a creative position that, that my boss came up with because mostly you see offices, they have a director of development or development director or something, but I've been doing this for, for quite a while and I've been in the same council the whole time and I know a lot of people and, and they know me and my job is, in any job, everything, it's all relationships. Relationships makes the whole world go around. And some people, they may not realize, oh, you know, you do your thing and you move on to the next guy. Well, uh, yeah, you may have gotten that uh, in-kind gift or that donation. You don't want it to be a one-time thing where, okay, it's, it's done and you burn that bridge and move on to the next. Oh, people have long memories. <laughs> and uh, you, you, I'm actually involved with, with Rotary Clubs. I go to the, uh, the Chamber Network events. I go to all those and I try to meet as many people as I can. And some people, it takes a long time to, to be their friend. And sometimes um, you are right away by building some common ground. Hey, I was an Eagle Scout or I was in the military or those kind of things. Hey, we've got some commonalities. Uh, but showing a true dedication of I want to, to have a relationship with you and I want you to have a relationship with scouting or rekindle that relationship and not just to make it where it seems kind of fake because people can see through that. And if you're honest and open and you can show them the good, good side of things that are happening uh, as opposed to what's in the media, bringing them out to camp and camps going on, you know, those kind of things, just pulling on those heartstrings. It's just amazing uh, the kind of relationships that you can build in scouting. And most of my best friends right now are people that I met um, working for the Boy Scouts. Wow, Todd, thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment to scouting. Thank you for defending our country. Uh, and uh, we wish you Godspeed as you go on this deployment. And uh, I think, Odell, let's have him back on when he comes back. Or you can't come on while he's over there? I actually probably could. Oh, well then let's do that. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. Matt Golden, News Director. Chin Ray Zhang, Director Producer. And Jason Gentarola, Audio Producer. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.
Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. 